Welcome to the Elevating La Cultura podcast, a space where I talk with Latinas who are passionate about what they do and are willing to share that passion with others to change the narrative, especially for the next generation. Each season is centered around different topics, but all with a Latina perspective. Welcome to season eight, where we will talk all things corporate and higher education. I'm so excited to share these powerful stories. So vámonos, and let's get into it. Hola, we have our last guest of the season today. Deborah Avalos is the Director of Procurement Services at a premier healthcare system in Chicago. She is a nurse by background and has over 20 years of healthcare and supply chain experience. She leads Strategic Sourcing Services, which manages a $720 million portfolio of medical, surgical, and lab products. She has oversight of procurement analytics, which provides reporting, analytical tools, and services that transform supply chain data into actionable strategic decision-making opportunities. She's passionate about advancing and supporting diverse talent and has developed the Supply Chain Workforce Diversity and Talent Development Program, which addresses diversity and inclusion, employee retention, creation of entry-level positions within strategic sourcing services, and workforce pipeline development. She serves as a chair of the Latinx Champion Network at her company, a workforce-led network of resource groups for members and allies of underrepresented communities. She is also an amazing mom of two and one of my best friends, and I'm honored to share her story. So please enjoy our conversation. All right. I am beyond excited because I have my really good friend on the podcast today. This is a long time coming, and we have been friends for, oh my goodness, probably like, yeah, Mm -hmm. when I was pregnant with my, or I had just had my first. And so we have done life together. We have cheered each other on through all the ups and downs. And so I'm so excited that you are here to share your story. So Mm -hmm. before we get all the way into it, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, so I am Debbie Avalos. I am a wife, a mother, a daughter, a sister, a friend, uh, a worshiper, um, a nurse. I all those. I wear all those different hats. I have been born and raised in Chicago, so I am a Chicago girl through and through. I come from. Um, my father is from Peru, and my mom is from Puerto Rico, and my husband is Mexican. So my children are multicultural, have a little bit of Latin America in them, and I am first generation born here. I am the first in my family, my immediate family, to go to college. Um, so, like I said, I, I am a nurse. I went to UIC to get my undergrad, and then I went to Lewis University in Romeoville to get my double master's. So I have a master's in business administration as well as in nursing administration. Um, I enjoy singing. I love my family. I love my husband and my kids. My husband and I have been married for about 17 years. And we have two boys, Leo and Max, 10 and 8. And I'm just uh, in love with them. And life can get hard, but it's okay when you got community like Karina and our friends and our family. So I have been with you on this journey when you were an ER nurse and the the steps that you have taken to get to where you're at now in your career has been just amazing to witness, amazing to be able to cheer you on through that and be able to see you have a life that is thriving with kids and a social life and all that you do is just really inspiring to me. Um, I know that our, our kids are close. They've grown up like around each other and it's always nice to be able to talk like real life and also cheer each other on in our prospective careers. Um, I'd love for you to share what brought you to where you're at now. Did you always know that you wanted to go into the medical field? Yeah, so my sister, one uh, one year, I think I was like maybe nine or 10, and she got sick and she had to have surgery in her back. And the insurance covered a home health nurse to come maybe like three times. And she, we had to like dig into a wound. Um, 
this is, she knows this story, so she, she won't be upset that I'm sharing it. Uh, <laughs> um, and I had it. So I was the one who was chosen in the family to like put this gauze, maybe like two feet deep into her back. So that's when I decided, oh, I, I can do this. And it was just something that flourished inside of me to be able to help people. Um, and then I can remember in high school, my junior, senior year thinking like, I'm going to be an ER nurse. Like, that's what I'm going to do. That's my, I'm, I'm just going to do it. And I actually applied to um, one of the local community colleges because I didn't have any direction. You know, my parents didn't go to college. So, you know, they're like, we figured out. So I was going to go to my local community college. I know I wanted to do nursing. And one of my girlfriends at the time was like, why don't you go to UIC with me? You know, and you're what, 16, 17, you're naive. You're well, at least I was. I wasn't thinking of like competition. I wasn't thinking of all the barriers that sometimes are in place to go to college. And I said, okay, fine, I'll I'll apply. So I applied. It was the only university I applied to. So it was the junior college and then UIC. And I did my essay. I had a friend at the time who helped me write my essay and to figure out like, you know, why was I going into healthcare? And it was pretty much like, I want to go into healthcare to help people, but I also want to go into healthcare, specifically nursing, because I want to better my life, right? Like I want to be able to provide for my family um, in the future. So I applied and unbeknownst to me, like I, I was accepted and I was so excited. I was accepted. I said, okay, I have an option. I have the junior college and then I have UIC. I didn't think about, again, I wasn't thinking about financial aid. I wasn't thinking about, like, it was an open road for me. And I knew, like, I'm going to get there. And when I started realizing, okay, like, I need to apply for financial aid. I need to do this. I need to do that. I was like, oh, okay. So I had to navigate my way through that. And I think as Latinos, many of us are first generation. And we're not aware that there are programs out there to be able to help us along or to be able to help with like an application process. Back in my day, it was like you had to send paper applications. I understand now through my nieces and nephews that there's like an app for that. <clears throat> um, so that's much simpler, but that's how I kind of found out. And then when I got accepted and I realized, you know, when I went to orientation, they said out of 800 applicants, you are the top 10%. So only 80, 80 of us got accepted to the program. And I was taking it back because I was like, oh, and it was the last year that UIC accepted high school students as straight into nursing. Now everything's like pre-nursing, pre-med. So um, that's that's how I got in there. It was just, I don't want to say ignorance because it wasn't, but it was just like, okay, I'm going to try it. And if I don't get it, then I don't get it. I have a plan. So that's, you know, that's my story. And then I was able to I struggled in college for the first two years. I didn't realize how difficult it was. Um, And I was also very involved in my local church. So that was always a different, um, a difficulty to balance right uh, back at that time. And then towards the end of my nursing um, education, the last year I lived on campus and I turned it around and I was able to finish and I graduated and here not here because here I am in a different career now but there I was you know so what was the hardest piece you said that you struggled the first few years in college was it academics or time management or finances it was academics time management so academics because you know college is hard right and I was not prepared I I how can I tell you, like, looking back then, I did what I needed to do to get by. Um, I was a hardworking student, but there was just things like chemistry, like, it's interesting because I'm in medical fields and, like, math is a basic, math and science, like, that wasn't my strength. Like, math wasn't my strength. Um, and science and chemistry I enjoyed, but I didn't enjoy, like, the process of how to get there. So I struggled. I was actually on probation for the first, like, year and a half when I was in college. And it wasn't like I was failing. I was just not, I was at a, you know, I've always heard the saying, I don't know if you heard it, like C's get, get degrees. Um, so 
I was a C student. <clears throat> it wasn't like I, but it was just, it was managing like life at home, the responsibilities that I had. Uh, I didn't work, thankfully. Um, and I was just, it was school. So how did I, I balance it? I, you know, it's more than 23 years ago. So I just kind of do it when you get in there, but it was hard. And then financially, my parents, um, my father was a minister. So he obviously doesn't make a lot of money and it was, it was difficult. So the first two years I qualified for FAFSA completely. And the last two years I had to figure out how was, how was I going to do it? And I was devastated. And I was like, Oh my goodness, do I have to quit school? What, what do I need to do? And it worked out. Like I, I got student loans, um, which, you know, now in my forties, I would recommend like if you can work through college and not get into debt, like all more power to you or start getting scholarships, uh, start doing scholarships, like apply to one scholarship every day. Like just do it so that you don't come out of your you know, undergrad with all of this debt. So that's I would recommend that, like just do more and to put put it into that. And I can remember like academically, I was struggling that I one day went to my father's office and I said, I'm quitting. I went in there and I was crying and I said, I'm quitting. <clears throat> I, I can't do this. This is too hard. And I can remember him, you know, boldly sitting there and was like, okay, he didn't comfort me. He didn't like tell me like, it's going to be okay. Um, like you're, you know, it was just like, okay. And then he looked at me and he said, but Debbie, I want you to know. He's like, no one's going to do anything for you. No one is going to make things happen for you. Like you you know, life is hard. You're just going to have to do it. But if you decide that you're going to quit nursing after almost three years, okay. And I was so upset at him because he didn't like put his arm around me. Like I'm the, I'm the baby, right? Like I'm the one who's going through college. I'm the one who's like doing, you know, ministry and, you know, ma managing at home and going to college. Like, but I am so thankful that he didn't comfort me the way that I was expecting. I, I'm so thankful that he actually like kind of shook me out of it because if I would have given up, I don't, I don't know where I would be today. And that conversation triggered something in me to know, like, I need to do things for myself, right? Like life is going to be hard. Life is going to be difficult, but I'm in control of my life. I'm in control of my destiny. Like, what am I going to do if I want to get ahead? I have a, I have a dream and my dream is to be an ER nurse. Well, this is the path that I need to take to be an ER nurse, right? So I would say I can I can remember those being the highlights of my four-year struggles. <clears throat> yeah, and you did it. Like, you, you did it. Um, what was the process or the path from when you were at that pivotal moment where you're like, okay, well, I either quit or I figure out a way to do it to when you actually graduated? Like, what was that shift in you? And like, what got you to that end point? It was that conversation. It was me feeling sorry for myself. Obviously, right? I'm like 19, 20 years old. Um, my mom and my sister cried with me. So at least that part of me was satisfied. Like I wanted somebody to recognize that it was hard. Right. And I felt like, you know, they have lived a life that was hard their whole life. So they're like, what are you crying about? Right? Like, <laughs> this is everyday life for my parents. So I think that's where I didn't get the sympathy from my father. Um, but it was that moment that was a changing point for me to be like, okay, I'm in control of my own future. Um, I'm in control if I decide that I want to take two more years or five more years, right? So it's, that was that point. And then that kind of triggered something that made it in me to be like, okay, I'm going to finish. And my last year, I was able to live on campus. I mean, I only lived 20 minutes from UIC, but living on campus made such a difference. Like it pulled me away from all the distractions that I had at my home. And I was felt like I'd go to school and I go back and I study. Like it was four of us living in an apartment. And all we did was study and focus and go to school and do our clinicals and do our rotations. And it was it was just something that I needed a structure. And that was the structure that I wish I would have had earlier. But, 
you know, I was an A student my whole senior year. I got, I was on the honor roll. I was everything. So that was a change for me as well. But I will tell you that that was difficult for me emotionally because even though I lived 20 minutes away, I lived on the 16th floor and I can see like West where my parents live. And I cried for the first two weeks because I missed home so much. I was like, why, you know, again, old school back in 20, 20 years ago, like we lived with our parents. We didn't move out of our houses until we moved out when we were married. And this was something new for me, right? Like, and I remember calling that because I, again, I had, I took out a loan. My parents couldn't afford for me to live on campus. And I remember calling them and saying like, I don't want to live here anymore. Can you like send the money back? And they said, no, you are going to have to pay it. Like you're responsible for this if you stay there or not. And I was like, oh, hell no, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to do it. And I did it. And I missed out on going out with friends. I missed out on church events. I missed out on youth outings. I missed out on so many things because I was determined that I needed to get this done and I needed to cross that path that I said I was going to do. I said I was going to be a nurse. I'm going to be a nurse like that. There was no if, ands or buts for me. Like it it was going to happen. And I think that's something that a lot of people who are not in the Latino community might not realize that family is such a huge part of our lives. And it's not like we can separate the two things Mm -hmm. like our goals and family, like it, it goes hand in hand. And there's just so many layers and pressures that we have because of family, like we're expected to do like stay living at yeah, home. Absolutely. We're, ex- we're expected to follow this path, learn how to do all these things, be able to take care of the older generations. Yeah. And that's something that um, other people. Culture. Yeah. Yeah, other cultures don't have to manage in their uh, educational or career journey. And so it is more for us to have to manage in our day-to-day schedule because people are like, oh, I I remember when I went to college and they're just like, oh, well, it's easy. Like we just do this and we just do that. And I'm like, yeah, but I have to go home. And like, I have to do this and I have to do like, it's not like I have to call my house every day to make sure like check in. And they're like, why? And um, it's just so interesting. It's those things that you don't realize because it's like your life. And then when you get out and and you're just like, oh, oh, you didn't have to struggle with this. The whole like, world. You didn't have to do- yeah. It's completely different. You're just like, what? You don't, And I think that was another thing is that I lived in a bubble, right? So my bubble technically didn't burst, right? When I was kind of like hit with life till I was maybe 30, 31, 32, when my father passed away. And I realized like this adult thing is difficult, like marriage and school. Cause then I started going back to school, um, managing a family and it's, yeah, I feel like I, I was in a bubble, <clears throat> which is both good and bad. Um, and, you know, my faith plays a, a big role into that. And, you know, I, I would say, God, like, there's so many things that I'm naive to that I feel like I'm behind the eight ball in the world, right, that everybody's living in. And here I am, you know, naive to just a lot of life things. But I'm I'm also grateful that I had that kind of protection, would you say? Because I walked through life a lot of times not thinking that there was something that I couldn't do, right? I think the first time I was told that I couldn't do something was when I was an ER nurse, when I wanted to apply for a director level position, right? So you're jumping from a nurse to a director where I have no management experience, no, um, but I thought, well, the, the the experience I have at my church, right, managing their budget, managing this, like, that's translatable, right? That's all translatable. And that was the first time I was told, like, you can't do that. And I was like, well, why? Why can't I do that? Like, why can't I jump three things? Like, why can't I jump three positions? Or why can't I jump? Like, why can't I do that? 
And that was the first time that I can remember being like, oh, really? Like that people actually limited me because I didn't really limit myself. Now, would I have been successful? Probably not because I didn't have like the experience that I needed or, you know, whatnot. But that was kind of like that was one of the first times in my careers where where I was told, like, you can't. And in my head, I was like, well, why not? Like, I remember question. I can remember the day I was literally in the in the ER and I was <clears throat> in uh, our locker room and thinking to myself, well, yeah, I could totally do this. Like, I, I can make this happen. And then you realize that that's not the way the world functions. And there's um, a method that you have to go through. There are, there are steps that people, you know, want you to do if you're in a structured organization, right? Now, if you're out and you're working for yourself, the, the sky is the limit. And now I can say, like, in my career, the sky is the limit for me because I'm not going to let anybody tell me no because I'm going to be able to tell myself, nope. I have translatable skills that can actually fit into this job description. Like I know what I can bring to the table. I know my value. Um, so that's a different, that's like now a shift in, in my mentality where before I wouldn't apply for a job because I didn't meet all of the qualifications. And now I'm like, all right, well, I know I can, I know I can do this. Like I came into supply chain. I came from clinical from the bedside to an ER nurse to an administrative corporate position. And I had no background on what healthcare supply chain was. And now here I am 10 years later, I'm the director with oversight over that team, over, you know, value analysis and over procurement analytics. So I would say, <clears throat> Don't. Uh, yes, people are going to tell you you can go here, you can go there. And it's it's wise to seek counsel. It's wise to seek advice and, you know, have mentors and people guide you. But you, you'll know the difference when someone is trying to help you and give you perspective to help you grow versus somebody telling you and shooting you down and saying, like, no, you can't do that. That's those are two different conversations that we need to be able to distinguish like where's people's intention and what do we what do we decide to accept and what we decide not to accept. <clears throat> mm, That's so good. So when you were told no, when you were an ER nurse, is that when you decided to pursue your master's and continue your education? Like what was where were you at in your job that you were like, okay, I think it's, I'm, I'm ready to go back to school and continue this. Yeah. So that's a very interesting question because it hadn't, it wasn't anything to do with, with work per se, as I knew that long-term my body, you know, my, I applaud ER nurses who have been at the bedside for 20 plus years. Like, you know, I knew sooner or later I wanted to go into the corporate side of healthcare. So it was seven years. It took me seven years to go back and decide, okay, what do I want to do? And I always knew, like, I want to get a double master's. I want, because if one day I decide to leave healthcare, I have my MBA to fall on. Not realizing that healthcare is a business, that I can use both of my degrees um, in healthcare, and that I wouldn't have to leave what I was passionate about. So my husband and I decided, okay, it's, I'm going to go back to school. This is something I want to do. It's one of my goals. Again, the application process, there was, I was, what kept me away from grad school was the GMAT. Like, I didn't want to sit, like, I'm not a good test taker. I don't like standardized tests. So I looked for a, I looked for a school that didn't have that requirement, that had more of like my academics. Then I went back and I was looking at my academics in my undergrad and I was like, like how, like my academics weren't the greatest in undergrad, right? Like I shared with you, my, my best year was my, my senior year and that helped my GPA, but it wasn't like the, it wasn't the greatest. And I was like, now how am I going to do this? So you start, now you sell stuff out and like, will they accept me? Will they not accept me? But as an adult learner, it's a completely, your mindset is completely different. So I went ahead and I took the risk and I applied to Lewis. Um, and one of the things that drew me to them is that they didn't require the GMAT. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go there. And I got in and, um, I decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. And then life happens, Karina. Like life happened and life happened very hard. Like 
Um, through that time, my father got diagnosed with cancer. He was living in another state. Um, we, I had to travel back and forth. So, you know, at the time having that, that nurse schedule where I work three twelves worked great for my life because I can travel then to, to Florida and come back and come back and forth. But long story short, we had to bring him back home. <clears throat> and I can remember that I was coming up on one of my hardest semesters where they actually, the school told me you should go down to part-time because this is going to be, you're going to take two classes. One of them was nursing research and the other one was a difficult uh, finance class. And I'm like, how am I going to go down to part-time and take, a, my, take care of my family? Thankfully, I had great management where I was able to work part-time and supplement like a day of my week with PTO. Um, and then I was able to do that. Like my, you know, life happened. My dad got sick, marriage stuff happened. I had a pause school for a semester, right? So life happened along the way, but again, it was like, I'm determined, like we're gonna make this happen. Um, <clears throat> and then we got pregnant uh, and I had to take another semester off. So it, it just, I was determined that now at this point, it wasn't like how fast can I do it, but like, I'm gonna do it because I'm now an adult and life is gonna happen. And the time is still going to pass like 2024 is still going to come right no matter what i'm doing it's still going to come so might as well do what i want to do and get to my goal while that time comes so that was the pivot in my career where i was like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna do it life is happening i want to advance myself financially right financially i was like okay we're this is good but i, I want to be able to to live a different lifestyle <clears throat> but it was more along the lines of like my long-term goal at the time was like, I, I want to be the CEO of a healthcare system and I know I'm going to need X, Y, and Z. And then from there, uh, I went out on maternity leave. I came back and my father had already passed away. Uh, I, the ER was no longer the same for me. Like as much as I loved it, it was a lot harder on me emotionally. And as you know, as God would have it, one of the nurses that I precepted, uh, she came and she was working in supply chain. And I said, what's supply chain? And she said, you know, we save money for the organization. Um, anything that comes in and out of the organization, any product that you touch, that's what we, we do. We contract it. We negotiate for it. We save jobs because we save money. And I was like, oh, I, I want to be able to do that. And it went into a conversation. It was like a courting that was over two months. And then I decided, yeah, no, I'm not doing this. Like the, I, the ER is my place. And then life happened again. We were in the middle of buying a house. The market had crashed. And it was along the lines of like, you either get a new job or you no longer qualify for this home. And we had already invested eight months. And I said, I have a new job. I have a new job. Uh, and that's what really triggered me to, you know, pivoted me out of the ER was life. Um, and this was like now the different path that God wanted me to take. And I went into supply chain. I was a sourcing manager. I had a portfolio of like $30 million at the time that I had to manage in medical supply. And I cried for six months and was like, what did I do? This is, I'm, I'm the expert in the ER. I'm the, I'm the person that people come to. And now I don't know anything. I don't know who, like I'm figuring this out. Yes, I'm going to grad school, but it wasn't for supply chain. So I had to do a lot of self-learning. And my new manager was like, you're a manager now. Go put time on people's calendar. Go learn. And as a nurse, you're you're always provided an A, B, C, D path. And this was like, go for it. And I went for it. <clears throat> and I remember having data meetings at three o'clock in the afternoon and looking through Excel and thinking, why am I having meetings with math at three o'clock in the afternoon? So it was a big learning curve. Um, and I always told myself, okay, I'm going to give myself three years and I'm going to go back to the bedside. I began to grow. I had more success. Um, I, my portfolio uh, grew. We, we acquired more hospitals. I was exposed to more opportunities, meeting more people. Um, and then, you know, the opportunity for the ER manager came up and I was like, that's my dream job. I have to go. I have to apply. And I can remember like I had just finished having Max and um, I'm like, but this is my dream job. Like I need to I need to know right that I tried and that I did it. So I applied and I went through a very strenuous 
interview process on top of being like hormonal breastfeeding. Cause I had to like ask them like, can I please take a break? Like I need to go pump. <clears throat> and it was devastating when I got the call to say you weren't the candidate that we chose. And it was devastating because I was like, that was my dream job. Like that, that's where I was supposed to be. Like that was my stomping ground. Like I grew up there. Um, and it wasn't so much like what they said. It was how they said it. It was like, you wear your heart on your sleeve, you know, you're this, you're this, you're this. And it was nothing constructive, nothing to say, like, these were the things that we saw that you did great, but this is where we think you continue, you can continue to grow. Um, and I didn't fit the mold. I wasn't blonde haired and blue eyed. Um, I wasn't the yes, you know, person. I was the one who was going to challenge respectfully and say like, well, why do we do it this way? And I'm going to make everybody work equally. <clears throat> right. And that was, I think that was, there were things now that I'm like, okay, but I didn't fit the mold because I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't blonde haired, I wasn't blue eyed. And I was an, I was a, an, an assertive Latina, right? I didn't, I was not a pushover. I, I, I demanded respect from the physicians. Like you want me to respect you, you need to respect me. Um, and I try to be fair to everybody, no matter what position you work. If you were EVS, which means like our environmental services, if you're cleaning the rooms or if you're the head physician, if you're the tech that's helping me clean a patient, like I'm going to treat everybody equally because we're all human beings. Like there's no this level and positioning. So it was very difficult for me on top of that. I'm hormonal. Right. So it's like, ah. and I can remember going out with Leo and the boys and, and Leo's like, it's okay. Like God has something better in store for you. And it was good because I still had my job, right. I wasn't losing my job. It was, I was still there. And there was a lot of things that I still needed to learn about corporate healthcare, America, um, politics, people, networking, uh, relationships, business. Um, and it was, yeah. So I don't know. I, I know I went on a tangent of like kind of like my trajectory, but that's kind of what was the, the genesis or the trigger to get me going. And I think by this point we were already good friends. And so, yeah. I remember going to your graduation yeah. and like even thinking back and hearing this story from the beginning is just so special that I was able to be there when you walked the stage and with your family. But I like, we have talked about this in real life, the barriers that yeah. we have to face in corporate America and I have been there to listen and been there to support. Um, but I appreciate that in the, like, as you have grown in your career and advanced in your career, like you are also paving the way and making space for others like you in the past mm -hmm few years, you have like really poured yourself in the Latinx ERG in your company yes. and like really grown. And I like hearing about it makes me so proud and excited. Um, but I'd love to hear more of the reason that you started being more involved in that and how you have grown. So if anybody is listening, like, and they are in that position where they want to then start pouring back into their yeah. communities, what were the steps that you took to do that in your company? Yeah. So in 2020, my organization, <clears throat> there was a lot going on in the world. Um, and there were, we, it's called the champion network. And in this champion network, it's a resource group for employees led by employees. And the first ones that were launched were the African descendants and LGBTQ. And um, they're, have three different arms, community outreach, cultural responsiveness, and then uh, professional growth and development. And I was ready. And I'm like, okay, when are we doing one for, for, you know, Latinos? When are we doing one for the, um, our, our Hispanic population? 
And I remember like hearing bits and pieces and I reached out to the program director directly and I said, hey, whenever you have one for Latinos, like, please, please let me know. I would, I would love to just be involved. <clears throat> and the reason why I chose that is because as I've been at my organization for 20 plus years, it's been predominantly white. <clears throat> um, and, you know, now that I look back, like before I was very, you know, oblivious to just comments or things that were said or just I was like, mm, yeah, I, right. I don't I don't care. But now that I look back, I was like, oh, was that like microaggression? Was that, you know, whatever it was. But anyway, um, so I said, I want to be a part of it. <clears throat> And then in as a part of that process, we as a department were doing a self-assessment on like, what do we look like from a diversity, equity and inclusion perspective? And my my vice president gave me the opportunity to work with HR and look at our data. Right. Like how many people have you know, how many Latinos do we have? How many um, Asian Americans? How many African descendants? How many how what do we look like? Right. Like how do we compare to the organization? And of those roles, how many people are still in management roles? How many people are in director roles? And till this day, I am the only non-white director that sits on my vice president's team. Uh, we have two other women, um, right? So at least we have like the 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 women on the panel, but I'm I'm the only uh, non-white. And that was pretty much the launching pad <clears throat> because I was able to then take this data. Um, navigate the difficulties of confidentiality and data within my organization, right? HR is very protective of that data. Um, and he was my sponsor and he said, I want us, I want us to take a look at ourselves and what are we doing and how are we growing our own team members? From that, I was able to present that to some senior executives. And from there, I looked at my team and I said, there's no entry level position to come into my team. You either have to be a bachelor's prepared or a master's prepared. And I wanted to remove that barrier. Um, so I worked with my with my boss and with HR to develop a position that would just require a high school diploma. And you would be a coordinator and we would kind of we would we'll, we will teach you what the position entails and what you know, with the hopes of if you want to go back to school you now have the ability to do so, right? We have tuition reimbursement. We have flexibility. We, we can, if, if there was a barrier before, right, let's remove that barrier and see how we can help you navigate it. I was able to get that position approved. Um, it's a, uh, you know, Latina who's in that position. So I'm all the prouder of it, right? And then now she's decided on her own without any pressure, that she wants to go back to school and that she wants to take that next step in her career. Um, and it's been so great to see that I maybe had a little bit to do with that by paving that way for somebody. And now that they have that platform to, to say, okay, these barriers were removed because I would have never been in this department in this pillar of this department because I didn't have a bachelor's or a master's and that barrier was removed. And now I can do, oh, and now I think I do want to go to school and I do want to do X, Y, Z. So now as the director, it's my job to say, okay, what, how can we help you balance it? Because going to school as an adult and being married and like, we need to balance all of that, right? To not create more barriers. So I'm excited about that. And then the opportunity, then Latinx came up and it showed up on our, our, our company intranet. And I emailed that person because I was like, why didn't she tell me? Like, and sure enough, she had left the organization and I just started looking around. I'm like, who do I need to talk to? Who do I need? So I went ahead and again, that ER Debbie came in of like, I'm going to do this. I don't care what those barriers are. Like, I'm going to I'm going to advocate and I'm going to go for it. And sure enough, I did. Now, was I the only applicant? I have no idea. So I'm going to think that there was other applicants, but I don't know if there was. <clears throat> and I now um, I'm the chair of the Latinx. Um, champion network at my organization, which involves bringing Latinos from all, you know, and allies, right? All of our allies as well across our healthcare system to come together to know like, hey, we see you, we hear you, we understand your story because we understand that family component. 
We understand that responsibility of taking care of our loved ones. We understand that we have different family dynamics. Like it's just something that we understand culturally and how do we navigate it within our organization, right? While being equitable to all. So in, in this opportunity, like you were our first guest that we had for Cinco de Mayo. And it was great because we wanted to stop assimilating. We wanted somebody to come in and talk to us. And that's what you have done. Like you left your very successful, and I want to emphasize that, wedding career, wedding photography career. And we're like, I'm not doing this anymore. This is now what I want to do because I want to educate. And I can remember our conversation. Like I want to educate people that Mexican culture is more than tequila and tacos. And I, that like hit me. And I remember telling him like, Karina, but how are you going to do this? Like, what is, and you're like, I have a plan and this is my plan. And I remember like, okay, okay, I'm going to support you. And that was like a pivotal, when we were looking for a speaker, I was like, I have the right person because you were the right person to talk about to us about like not assimilating, about being able to step out. And through the Champion Network, we have been able to do community outreach events to help our own community. We are, uh, we did our artisan event, which took us two years and people don't know like how hard that was, but I had to go through politics. I had to go through legal. Like I had to do this. There was, you know, Ana, she, um, Ana Galindo, she is the mind behind the concept of having an artisan event of all Latinx vendors, having them come into a space where they don't have to pay rent or a fee to come in and having the community come in and you know, and not very well off communities, like communities that usually don't have these events. We were in East, we were in Humble Park at the, um, you know, at one of the local community centers and we were able to do it. Like we had over 23 vendors, we had great foot traffic and whatever profit they made that day, they took home for themselves. Like they didn't have to pay us. They, it was so this was like a community outreach event. And that I can say is like one of my, like one of my proudest moments. Another one that we're doing um, next week, Friday, is we're making hygiene kits for um, the migrants that have come in. And, you know, there's there's been such a strong response because usually when you volunteer, it takes a lot of your time. So this one we're doing on campus, on site to just say, hey, if you only have 20 minutes, stop by for 20 minutes and help us. We're going to make over 800 kits to be able to disperse um, because there, these are things that we take for granted, like toothbrush, toothpaste, uh, shampoo, conditioner, deodorant, right? That many of these, these migrants don't have. And we want to be able to say like, Hey, we know you're here. We, we know you're here. We may not be able to help you with all these things, but this is like, we want to acknowledge you. You are a human being like, and we want to acknowledge you. So that's, it's, it's been a long time coming and I'm, you know, I'm coming at the end of my, my, um, my rotation, can I say, but I'm really excited that I was able to kind of start this off and now pave the way for somebody else to come on in and for us to continue to be able to do it. And we've had great leads, right, for our community outreach events. We have uh, great leads for professional development, right? So it, it's not just one person, but it's the community that we come together and say like, hey, I'm passionate about this or I'm passionate about that. And I'm like, okay, let's let's go for it. Let's do it so that we can better ourselves. And, and we're making an impact at my organization. And I'm, I'm really proud of that. And I'm proud of you. I think it's so important for us to be able to form relationships with people that are uh, pursuing different things because we can leverage each other's networks. Like even though you're in the corporate space and I'm in the creative space, like there are ways that we can collaborate and encourage each other and make connections that we don't, we might not even know down the road that are going to be um, huge for other people. Well, when, when you and I, when I went to this artisan event and I was talking about, um, there was an artist there and I was like, oh, you know, um, Karina from, you know, Elevating La Cultura from, and they're like, I know her. I was like, what do you mean you know her? Like, she's my best friend. Like, she's one of my best friends. Like, so the, the world is so small, right? And that's one of the things that I didn't do well in my career. I didn't network. I did not network. And I, I found out later in my career, the importance of having a network, the importance of having relationships. You know, 
old school, you know, our dads had a guy. Like, I got a guy for this. I got, we need a girl, a guy. We need people in our network. Like, we need to be able to. And one of the best things and things that I'm proud of is when I know somebody and I can connect them to somebody else. I was like, oh, wait, 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 don't. Let, let me connect you. Like, let me make that introduction for even me to be able to do that for somebody else. So, and that's one of the things that I've learned from you. Like you have always put yourself out there and you have networked and you've, you've done all of these network activities. And I, I remember thinking like, how does she do that? Like, how does she put herself out there? And just, you have to talk, you have to put yourself out there. And you are so good at that, that that's what I learned from you that I had to be like, okay, I need to build a network. And you, I know that we're going to, we're going to talk about it, but like for the future generations or for generations that are coming up, like start building your network, start building your network. And it's not like, what can I get out of you? It's like, it's, who are you? What do you do? What are your interests? And, 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 and it's building a genuine relationship. Right. I think that's the thing that people also get misconstrued with networking is like, what am I going to get out of it? And it's more it's it's more relationship building. It's caring for people for who they are, asking, like, how's your family? How are your your kids? And, and knowing that, like I have I've gotten into after covid. I've realized that we're all human in the business world. Right. It was a very like hard line between vendors and, and my side of the healthcare industry. And we were all we're all going through the same like it it normalized it humanized us all that now before I start a meeting, I'll say, like, how's your family? Like, how, how are you guys doing? Like, how is this? How's that? Like genuinely, because we're all human beings in the long run. Like we are all we all have our struggles. We all have this. So like I would say, like, as the younger generation, build your network, build relationships, not just. I need a favor. Right. And yeah, you're going to call in the favor every once in a while and you're going to do favors for other people or connect them. But to be genuine about your relationships, I think that and that's what I admire you about you, Karina, is that when you give, you give yourself genuinely. Um, and I know that sometimes that hasn't been in return for you, but yet you still are that person to be like, nope, this is who I am. And it could be that a couple of people don't see me that way or that they didn't you know, whatever it may have been, but you still decide to be that bridge for somebody else. And that's, that's admirable. Mm, thank you. And I, like, like you said, um, thinking about the future generation, I am just thankful that you are a hundred percent, whether you are in your job or in life, because even my daughter, Elena, like, looks up to you and she she's in that teen space so everything is kind of like uh okay but after we like leave hanging out with you she's like oh yeah debbie is so cool like debbie like i love hanging out with her and um i just appreciate that uh that you're a role model for my kids in a different way than like I am or like other people in her life yeah. are. And so I think it's so important to have that um, like different role models and yeah. to be different role models for other people as well. Um, I, I know we can talk all day. And, I know. Um, like, do we have to stop? <laughs> I know. And we usually do. Like when we go out, we are just hanging out till all hours of the night. Um, but you already touched on it, but I'd like love for you to answer what advice do you have for the next generation? I mean, you are raising the next generation. You are inspiring the next generation in your, in your work. So you can answer that question however you'd like. Um, but what is that advice and, or a piece of encouragement that you would have for the next generation? That are that there's not just one way to get to our path, right? I think that's, that was one of the biggest lessons for me is that I thought my path was going to be straight and it has been zigzag. It has been uphill. It has been downhill. It has been circled. It has been paused. Um, so to not, when challenges come, because they're going to come, it's just the story of life to not give up. Right. And that if you have to pivot, 
you thought that maybe you had this was going to go this way and no just go go for the ride right like okay life is not taking me in this direction i'm going to try this one and you will see that it'll be all worth it like you're going to learn from all those different difficulties challenges good moments bad moments like you will learn from that and they will make you the person that you think you want to be in the future but you end up turning out a lot better than what you can even dream of like i never would have imagined leading a you know procurement team at my organization that wasn't i was supposed to be an ER nurse right who was going to go into healthcare administration i don't know how but i was going to do it and the story has you know god has written my story so much better than i could have ever imagined and that so just know that life is not a straight path, right? And don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on your dreams because you you might say it's going to take me five years to get there. Those five years are going to pass anyway. So might as well do it working towards your goal, right? Working towards what you want to be or what you want to accomplish. Um, I remember that grad school took me five years because I was an adult now. I, life happened. And I remember being like, well, as long as I finish, that's what matters, right? I'm going to finish. So yes, put yourself, give yourself goals with timelines. Absolutely. Like be organized. Um, but know that it might, it, it can take a different path. And then network, really go out there, you know, put your hand out. Hi, I'm Debbie Avalos. Like I'm from X organization, right? Like my, over the past year, this past year, um, I brought my team along and um, they're like, man, you work a room. And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, you you just, hi, I'm Debbie Avalos. Like, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, you just do it. I was like, I have to put myself out there because if not, like, how are people going to know who I am? How am I going to be able to find that next step? Or how do I know that what I want, like that, that person might be the bridge that God might use to take me to my next path or my next step. So I would say also is that college isn't for everyone. And I know that this is kind of like taboo in the Latino culture, um, but it isn't for everyone. But there's trades out there that can make you more money than you do if you go to college, right? Like there's electricity, there's plumbing, there's the beauty industry, there's the creative industry, right? So I think what I'm blessed about, like you mentioned, Karina, is that my kids, when we do life together, right? It's I'm about I'm I'm around creatives. Like I'm, I think me and Lou might be the only people like in in healthcare or whatever. But like everybody else is like in a creative path. And I remember when Leito was younger and Max, I was so grateful for that because it doesn't have to be this corporate America. It doesn't have to be like I have to work at this place from nine to five. No, like it could be so much more. And I think coming from a generation where it was working and my parents worked at a factory and that's what they did because that's what they knew to survive. I think that's great. But now I have the opportunity because of what the work that they did to open a different set of world for my children. And I do that through my friends, right? The fact that you are a photographer, a podcaster, a fine arts, you know, um, educator, right? All of those things right? And that Sonia and Alberto, like they're creatives in that art space and Louisa in the medical fields, right? So, and it's just amazing, right? To see like our, that our kids can see like, these are all the different things that I can do with my life. I don't have to be pigeonholed. So that would be like the one thing is like, find your passion. And I will tell you like my passion, I will still tell you to this day, like is the, the ER, um, but I know that that's not my place anymore. Like that time in my life has has passed. And now I'm in a new place where now I can my new passion is to help other people get to their next step to get to their next journey. Um, and I've had the opportunity of mentoring. Right. And, and find a mentor. I think that we don't I never knew what a mentor was. And again, I found that out later in my career, like for that young generation, like find a mentor, find somebody who you think, like, if you think this is a career or a, a trade that you want to go into, find somebody in that space and talk to them because maybe it's not what you think it is, right? So, like, do your due diligence and do your, um, you know, um, your research 
right? And if you're coming from a household where, you know, your parents don't have that ability, like ask in school, right? Like we as Latinas and we as the, the generation that's up and coming, like it is our responsibility to be able to do that. And I remember getting upset when all of this, this, um, and, you know, I'm looking back, but I was very biased at like, well, why do I have to pave the way for somebody? Like nobody paved the way for me. And that was initially my mindset. Like, no, I had to work hard. Like I, I had the punches, like I got the, the, the jabs, like, why do I have to do it for somebody else? And without recognizing that somebody did pave the way for me, it might not have been how I wanted it to, but you know, there was a Latina who went to nursing school who had to endure some trials and tribulations and, and made a path for someone like me to be able to come into my organization who didn't fit the mold, right? So it is our responsibility to just be like, to make our generations better. It is our responsibility to continue to elevate our culture, to continue to elevate that next generation, right? Because we want to be better and not better as in like, we're better than anybody else. No, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying better as in like, where we came from, where our grandparents came from, like all of their struggles cannot be in vain. Like they have to be building blocks to where, you know, we will one day be, to where one day our children's children will be. I think that is a perfect way to like drop the mic for this episode. I I mean, I talk about our cultural legacy all the time and how our generation is really building that, building yeah. upon the foundation that our parents who immigrated here started. And sometimes we we look at other people and say like, oh, how did they get so far ahead? How did they? And it's because they had like generations already here building upon that network for them. Yeah. And so now it's like, we need to b continue building that for our kids and our generation. Um, because like you said, no one's going to do it. Like we got, no. we have to be the ones pouring into that and um, investing in that for our cultural legacy. And so uh, I love, I love talking to you because like we can just get, and keep pouring into each other and keep like yes. elevating the conversation. Um, so I am just so grateful for your time, for you being willing to share your story. You have a powerful story. I like, I love our friendship. Like I love our friendship. And that's another thing, like find friends who will be with you through good and bad, right? Who will, we've had some hard conversations mm -hmm. like where we've, had differences of opinion where we've had to check in on each other and be like, Hey, but I, I don't want this. Like, that's what friends do. Like iron sharpens iron. So mm -hmm. find that, that friend and that group of friends that you're going to grow and they're going to give you different vantage points. Like I've learned, I've learned so much from you. I've learned so much from Sonia. I've learned so much from Louisa, right? Because we're all coming from different parts of life and we're not going to know it all. Yeah. Um, and that's the beauty of community, right? So I am so grateful for your life. I am so grateful for your family. Um, my Max and my Leo, like, love you so much. Like, Max would, and I tell you to this day, like, if you ever open a school, like, my kids will be your first students because they love hanging out with you. Like, Max is like, when can I hang out with Miss Karina? Um, so thank you for the love that you have towards my family. And I'm, and you're an inspiration to them as well. Like, I, I love it. And I think this is the, when you did our, our family session, this was one of the times where we had the most smiles because of your kids, right? Because Elena and Elias were a part of it and they were making them smile. And um, I just, I love it and I'm grateful for it. And I'm so blessed uh, to have you in my life and Michael and the kids. And I'm so proud of you, Karina. I'm so, so proud of you. Yeah, thank you. And I am proud of you as well. You have accomplished a lot. And I'm just so grateful for your, um, your example, and your your tenacity and your hard work and your perseverance. So thank you so much for being on my thank podcast. Oh, I can't believe it. I'm so excited. <laughs> yes. And I mean, we're gonna hang out. So even though this is goodbye for the podcast is not really because we're like, our ride or die. Yeah. So yes, ride or die. Thank you everybody for having me. Yes. Thank you. And we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye. 
We seriously could chat all day, and we usually do, but I'm so glad she is closing us out for season eight as my last guest. Okay, amigos, thank you so much for listening. There'll be one more episode next Tuesday before I take a break for the holiday season. After you listen, feel free to take a screenshot, post on Instagram, tag at Elevating La Cultura, or send me a DM. You can also comment on this YouTube video if you're watching online. I always like to hear from people and how they resonate with the stories that I share. So leave a review on Apple Podcasts so we can get more ears listening to these stories and we can continue elevating La Cultura. All right. Enjoy the rest of the day, afternoon, evening, whenever you're listening. Y nos vemos next week for one more episode of Season 8. Adios.